when we look at this, this phrase, fruits of the Spirit, being love, joy, peace, it's almost scary when we look at this list. Because we, we look at it and we think, ah, I'm not sure I match up to many of these. And you start wanting to say, okay, I've got to be better at joy. I've got to be better at forbearance and kindness. But it's different than that. It's what Glenn was talking about just a minute ago. Trees bear fruit. The fruit is not something that somebody just walks up and gives you or hands to the tree. The tree is planted in an appropriate place. The tree grows roots. The tree has the right climate, the right atmosphere. And if things are healthy and things are good, it'll begin to bear fruit. And as somebody's walking by and they see a peach tree or an apple tree and they see beautiful fruit on it, not only can they take from that and find nourishment, but even just looking at it sometimes can be so beautiful. In some parts of the country, they have what they call ornamental fruit trees. And those are kind of disappointing because you can't eat it. As a matter of fact, if you try, you're probably going to be in the hospital very quickly. But it's like a counterfeit of the real thing, but there's still a visual prettiness to it, but there's a caution. Sometimes even a sign sitting there saying, hey, don't eat this. This is just to look nice. A few weeks ago, I, I mentioned something to you guys, and I asked you to dream with me. Let's remind ourselves of that dream. That dream was about our children in this house and the children that we have in our lives and are in contact with, to look at what their lives could be like down the road, what their futures could be like. What would happen if we raised kids who never needed marriage counseling because their marriages were so strong? What would happen if we raised kids who never needed deliverance because they learned how to stay so filled up with God and they understood how loved they were to such a degree that there was no room for devils in their lives? What if we raised kids who didn't need to look to others for validation because they were assured of who they were in God's eyes and in our eyes? What if we raised young ladies that didn't need to go looking for love in ways that are physically and emotionally harmful to them because they know God's love and the love of the fathers in this church? And in the church at large, it goes well beyond these walls. What if? Folks, that's a reachable dream. That's not a pipe dream. That's something we can get to. That's something that Eleanor can see when she reaches those ages. That's something Nathaniel can see when he reaches those ages. Which I know God has enlightened for me. Not even for a moment. I am careful with the gospel in here because I understand that what's in here is what's going to be ministering out to people. I understand that what's in here is what the fruit's going to be that people are picking off my tree. And doing my best to keep it pure between God and I and in what I feed inside myself is what helps that along. It's really the only way to protect that seed that he's planted. It's lovely listening to some of the things that were said today. There's a couple of people that were a part of our worship team today that I know 
were not in conversations about what today's uh, topic was going to be about, but they're in that flow. They're, they're hearing God. They're listening to what he's talking about. He's talking about grace. He's talking about love. And in Hebrews 8, 12, Paul writes, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. He's talking about Jesus in this one. I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he's speaking of new covenant, he treats the first as obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Old covenant, new covenant, they cannot live together. It's that simple. There's either one or the other. Because it says here, he treats the first as obsolete. What do we know about God? He forgets. He moves things away. Once he treats something as a gone, as something that's gone, it's gone. If he's treating it as obsolete and we keep trying to bring it back up as something new, he's wondering what this is that we're presenting to him, that we're supposed to be following. It's growing old and is ready to vanish away. That's really scary for some people because when you talk about grace and you talk about the way God doesn't keep track of people's sins, that's scary because people feel like, oh, that's giving people too much license. Mm, you're going you're gonna to see it different here in a minute. It says, you know, we know God doesn't keep track of our sins. He said that, and we're going to look at it. It's obsolete. It's vanishing away. He doesn't keep track of yours. Sammy, he doesn't keep track of your sins. Amen. Ellen, <laughs> thank God, right? Ellen, he doesn't keep track of your sins. He doesn't keep track of your children's sins. Now, we get good at that, as, especially as parents or people that are parental figures in, in kids' lives, but he's not. This is an ammunition for you, Addison. <laughs> But guys, he's not sitting up there with a checklist. He doesn't have a database, an Excel spreadsheet going. He doesn't have all that. He's not ready just to, oh, if she does it one more time. Mm, I'm going to get her. I'm going to show her. That's not God. Acts 13, 38 through 39, let it be known to you, therefore, brethren, that through this man, that was Jesus while he was here on earth, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone that believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. There's no caveats on that, you guys. Everything for every person that believes because he took care of it. One of the first things we learn about in Sunday school, along with the fruits of the Spirit and things like that, and these are good things to learn about. I'm not harping on that. But if we hammer it as the thing to learn and be a part of, and we don't talk about experience and let them live out of that, that's where we're going wrong. But we'll, we'll tell kids about Moses going up on the mountain and getting the Ten Commandments. It's a cool story. The burning bush, all that good stuff. He gets these tablets made of stone, and the Ten Commandments are etched on it. 
he brings it down. His face is so radiant and so, so just amazing because of having seen God that people can't even look at him. And we teach them the, those Ten Commandments as something to live by. There's a problem with that. We can't. It's not possible. That law that is etched on that stone is so perfect, so holy, so righteous, that it's absolutely impossible for anyone to do it. So what are we setting our kids up for? What are we setting new believers up for when they come through our doors? We're saying, well, you do these five things and these five things and you'll be good. When you get to the Hipperly Gates, St. Peter's going to say, go right on through. The thing is, if we had the ability to look at that law and follow it, what do we need Jesus for? What was that all about? If we actually could do that ourselves. Remember the story in Mark 2. Um, the one about the paralyzed man who wanted to see Jesus, wanted to be healed. And he had friends that were bringing him to see Jesus, but it was so packed in that house, the only way they could get to him was to lower him through the roof. And I always found it interesting that in verse 5 of Mark 2, the first thing Jesus says to this person is, and this person and his friends that have brought him in. He says, and seeing their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. That's not why he came. He wants to be healed. Not only that, but has he died on the cross yet, chronologically, when you look at that? No. So why would he say that? Well, for one thing, he knew what was coming. He knew the plan. He knew he was going to die on the cross. He knew that was a done deal. He was going to pay that price. And right after saying it, of course, people all around kind of freaked out. Wait, who do you think you are? You can't say that. You're just a guy teaching good things. You can't say somebody's, you know, sins are forgiven. He's like, fine. You know, he kind of gets a little frustrated with him right there. And he's just, you know, look, what's easier? Are you forgiven or to, to be healed and walk away? Fine. If that's what you need, I'll show you that I have that authority. Why don't you just take up your pallet and go home? And he did. The miracle followed the changing of the covenants. He said, your sins are forgiven you. He took care of that part and let that link come together. And when that young man reached down and took up his pallet that he had been brought in on, he walked home. And it was that simple. In Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just like that guy, he was yet a sinner before he was healed and before Christ forgave him. God did that for us while we were yet sinners. 
were in the past. Because that the cross, everything he did there was the demonstration of his love. That word we have written up there, love, is so huge. It's so big. The cross is where God said, I'm going to show you how much I really love you. Because really, none of you deserve it. I know I don't. Every single one of us have sinned and probably will again. But he said, I'm going to pay for everything that makes you fall short of the glory of God. Everything that makes you fall short of the glory of God. How big is that love? (laughs) And when we think about that scripture, and even if we don't articulate it this way, often we'll think, okay, when he died on the cross, he paid for all the sins that had ever happened in the world. That's not what he said. He said he paid for all sin, which means all sin to come as well. Not just everything that had happened, but sin. What happens if you believe that and you come to God and you think, okay, I'm asking you into my heart. I want you to be savior of my life. You accept his, his sacrifice. And then what happens if you sin tomorrow? Or the next day, or the next day, or maybe and the next day, and the next day. He's already paid the price for that too. It doesn't mean that those actions are something that we need to be working on a little bit. But that stuff comes out of the fruit of that grounding with God and that life with him. You see, he can't come and die again to take care of more sins. He died once and took care of it all. So not only do I need to take that to myself, I need to make sure when I am working with people in my life, when I am working with people who are asking for advice, when I am working with young children, when I'm working, I need to make sure that I'm helping them understand that their sin has already been paid for and all future sins. If we can only understand how vast that love is. You see, we look at people that fall for a temptation if they have something in their life that is a weak spot for them and they fall under the spell over and over again. And we, th- we often kind of look at them and go, oh my gosh, are you ever going to learn it? Are you ever going to get it? That's not the point. The point is, are you ever going to truly understand how much God loves you and those things will begin to fall away? Are you ever truly going to understand what it's like to walk with the Spirit, to walk with Jesus, and to listen to what he has to say and let that flow out of your life to such a degree that you no longer will fall for a counterfeit? you'll know that thing is not what I need. That is not what's going to fulfill me. That is not what's going to bring me joy because I've already know what's going to fulfill me and what's bringing me joy. I don't need that. I don't need that counterfeit. Look at Jesus in the wilderness. 
He had not, he had barely been through the water baptism and had God say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's in the wilderness and Satan is doing his best to tempt him, to try to nudge him to do things and prove who he is and all that good stuff. If you haven't read that story, go in and read it. It's interesting. Jesus knew who God was. He knew intimately that what Satan was offering him was what he already had. If you will do this, you will gain this. And he says, I've already got it. What, what do I need to gain? If you will do this, you will gain that. Nope. Already got it. I don't need that. If we can raise our children experiencing a true, real God in their lives, who loves them, who's not keeping track of everything for them, they're not going to fall for something counterfeit. And then our experience of it allows us to truly show love. We grow up hearing, you know, well, I love Jesus because he first loved me. Yeah. But, but there's a slight difference to what that verse actually says, which is interesting. Look at 1 John 4.19. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love we're not just talking about loving him. I love Terry because he first loved me. I can love Kathy, like really the way God wants us to love with true openness, with an understanding of how much he first loved me. I can't help but have it pour out of my being. I love because he first loved me. He showed me what that looks like. He let me feel what that feels like to such a degree that I want to mirror that to other people. When you read books in the Bible that were written by John, one of his disciples, you know, over and over, he uses that term, the disciple who Jesus loves. And I used to look at it actually kind of, amused, thinking he was kind of joking around and nudging with the other disciples. You know, yeah, Peter was there, named off other disciples, but then there was John, the disciple who Jesus loved. You know, and there may have been some of that. But what he's really trying to get across to us is that he fully understood how much Jesus loved him. Even the root of John's word, John, the word John and what he was taught is God's grace. When you look back through it, he understood that love and that grace that God brought in. He personified it. And so he'd keep reminding people, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. Folks, I am the disciple who Jesus loves. Have you ever said that before? Because I'm telling you, it changes something. And even if you don't want to do it here, talk, say that in your car. Say that in your shower, wherever. I am the disciple who Jesus loves. I am the disciple who Jesus loves. Not if I get X, Y, and Z taken care of in my life, I can be the disciple who Jesus loves. I am 
the disciple who Jesus loves. They made no bones about it in the Bible that these disciples were very flawed. We saw a lot of things about them that showed their humanity, that showed how much they needed to learn. I am the disciple who Jesus loves. You see, his love is the source of our love. There's really no other way to do it without it being a counterfeit. When we look at 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Guess what? There it is again. He's not keeping track of their sins. But before we spend a little time on that, a couple chapters before, in chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Ministry of death versus ministry of the Spirit. Ministry of condemnation versus ministry of righteousness, old covenant and new covenant. It's talking about if when Moses came down and that glory was shining all over his face, if it was that bright then, imagine what it's like now. When we're in the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the spirit, the new covenant. Three things were accomplished on the cross when Jesus died. And if we can keep these three keys in mind, it helps us understand exactly where we stand with him. The first thing was justification. Jesus paid our debt. That's what that one is. He made it, and a lot of people use this as something to remember what justification means. It's just as if I had never. Justification. Are you ever nervous to approach God for something you need or wondering if you, maybe not even that, you just avoid talking to him and spending time with him purposefully because you know of things that are going on in your life? Well, guess what? He already knows it too. But this justification piece, here's how amazing it is. Let's say Lenny has been a really good friend to me, and she is. And she, I needed some money one time. She loaned me $2,000. You must have a lot of money on hand, Lenny. She loaned me $2,000. And it's been a while now, and I thought I could get that paid back. But it's been really hard. I've been putting in extra time at work. I've been doing everything I can but I'm not getting that money paid back. So every time I see Lenny, I just kind of make sure I go over here when she goes that way. Or if she calls my phone, 
I don't answer because I don't want to have to say why I'm not paying her back. And yet, I have this friend. When we look at what Jesus did for us in paying our debt on the cross, let's say Jesus comes into the picture and he's kind of looking this thing over and he goes, all right, this this communication here is not good. Lenny, he walks up to you and he says, listen, I understand that Leslie owes you some money. How much does she owe you? 200 200,000. Woo. I I $2,000. I she owes you. Would it be okay if I paid you back for her? Would you accept 10 million? Would that be okay? Okay, good. He didn't just pay it, you guys. He way overpaid it. He made it where every time Lenny sees me now, she's going to want to come and talk to me. She's excited. There's no problems there. As a matter of fact, she might just want to loan me some more money. But the thing is, he didn't just cl- he didn't just clear it and make it even. He went way overboard. He took care of it. The second thing he did was reconciliation. We're reconciled to God. That thing about him not keeping track of our sins, that's what this means. He reconciled it all. Not just what had happened up until then, but all of it. He took care of everything. You see, that relationship with God thing, somebody said this recently, and I had to kind of think on it a little bit. And We talk about my wonderful relationship with God, and, you know, there's something valid to that. But did you know you don't have your own relationship with God? You have Jesus' relationship with God. It's even better because he gave us the same access that Jesus has. We're sons of God, aren't we? We're brought in. We're adopted in. We're not orphans. We have the same access. So we get to have the same kind of relationship with God that Jesus has with him. It's incredible. We walk in that inheritance. And then along comes number three. That's even a little more difficult to wrap our brains around sometime when we really think about it, and that's participation. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Not just him crucified, I was crucified with Christ. Romans 6, 3 through 6, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised up from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we could be no longer slaves to sin. That was a whole lot of words. But it's just saying, since we were crucified with him, 
We were also resurrected with him into new life. Old covenant passes away. New covenant is in effect. Just a few verses later, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, he didn't die for you. He died as you. That's why I don't think you ever hear us say from this pulpit that you need to kill your old man. You know how people will say, oh, I've just got to die to myself. i got to kill my old man. No. <laughs> The play on words back here, they're looking at Caleb like, kill your old man, huh? <laughs> he is saying you cannot kill the old self that you were because it already happened. How many times do we have to kill something before it's good and dead? Mm -hmm. Just once. So if that's the case, that old nature that we find ourselves struggling with, or that's what we think we're struggling with, is it possible for that new nature that's birthed in the new covenant and the old nature from the old covenant to actually be together inside me? No. Because Jesus is not roommates with Satan, you guys. He's not. You're not going to share a bit. So if we dredge that stuff up and we start working with that, then we're pulling in and we're trying to go back and pick up old covenant again. And we've got to make sure that we are changing that covenant thinking and that we are saying, nope, I'm done with this. God, I want to hear what you have to say. God, I want to give grace to people like you gave to me. Verse 14, a little later there in Romans 6, it says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. You see, grace is not giving people a license to sin like we're afraid we're doing. It actually says that if you're truly under grace, you just won't. It's not the freedom to sin, it's the freedom from sin. Do you hear that, that difference? It's not the freedom for me to go out and do a whole bunch of things that would be considered the actions of sin. It's the freedom from even feeling like I want to do those things or that I need to do those things. Most of the time, when there are things that really draw us, that we know are not good for us for many reasons, most of the time, that's because there's a void you're trying to fill. You're looking for something to fill a void. If that void's already filled, you're not going to fall for a counterfeit. So in that vein, if we try to teach any other way, we end up, exercising and picking up what's called the ministry of condemnation. You see, condemnation will try to give a name for what you've done. God don't have a checklist, so he don't have a name for it. We read through some of these verses, and we saw that the ministry of condemnation is the ministry of the law and the ministry of death that was engraved on stones. Let's look at it this way. If a person 
let's say me, if I am addicted to drugs, what name would condemnation give me? A drug addict. So if I take that name and I believe that I'm a drug addict, then by faith I will struggle with drug addiction for the rest of my life. If I smoke cigarettes, let's say, what would condemnation call me? A smoker. If I take that name and I believe it, then by faith I will struggle with it for the rest of my life. If I lie, condemnation would call me a liar. If I believe that, then by faith I will struggle with lying for the rest of my life. You see the pattern here? If I believe it, then by faith I agree with that and it becomes a part of me for the rest of my life. It doesn't have to stay the rest of your life. Even if you already have agreed with it and believed with it, that can be broken. And this is, comes back to something that I said a few weeks ago. There's no such thing as a sinner saved by grace. There's only sinners killed by grace and resurrected and made saints. I love it. I love it. There was a young man. He's, he was a boy many years ago now that I think about it. He's, a, he's got children of his own. But his dad told me a story about him several years ago that sticks in my mind. I love this story. He was out riding his bicycle one day. And he was just puttering along. And the church had really been working with him about what it is to hear God and what it is to commune with him and to have him as a part of your life. And he was just talking to God, riding his bike, talking to God. And he told his dad, he said, I'm riding around, and God was telling me, oh, don't go over there. There's a big pothole. Your bicycle will fall over. Don't go over there. Don't do this. And he was just kind of going on and on about this conversation with God. And his dad's just like, mm-hmm, yeah, okay. He said, then I, got, I saw this curb, and I went up on it with my bike, and I popped a big wheelie. And he stopped, and his dad looked at him and said, and then what did God say? God said, wow. We need to get our wow back. We need to hear him say wow. We need to know his love for us to such a degree that as we're going through our life and even what seems like the littlest thing to other people, we hear him go, wow. Look at you. That was so neat. That was so cool. Can you do it again? (laughs) With the understanding of what we've talked about today. Sing that little song again. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Does it mean just a little more? Maybe. 
It always meant a lot. But does it hit home just a little deeper? I want to ask you to do something. As you're going through these next few weeks, and as we're talking about these fruits of walking with the Spirit and what it looks like on the ground in our lives, as you hit those wow moments, write them down. Even if all you never share it with anybody else, that's okay, although I'd love for you to share it. Even if you put it in a little piece of paper and stick it in a jar and then go back and look after a while how many little papers you have. Write down those wow moments. Make note. Let it build your faith. Having God's love shown on you does not build faith any more than anything else. It is the best. It is what generates what we call faith. It's not something we generate ourselves. It's his love shining into us. Get back your wow moments. Father, we accept the gift that you gave us through your son, Jesus. And Lord, I for one agree that in the coming days and in the coming weeks, I'm going to be watching and noticing examples of your love for me. I'm going to be watching and noticing when your love spills out of me. And I'm going to be looking for ways to show others and reflect the love that you have for them. I'm going to be watching for those wow moments. Lord, be with every person as they go about their day. Be with everyone who is traveling to be with us for this evening as we come back together and celebrate even more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming.